Hello everyone, welcome to this special webinar which is about directors talking about their debut features. So just to start I'm going to introduce our three directors. First of all we have Eva Riley. Hello Eva. Hello everyone. We have Nick Rowland. Hello Nick. Hello. Hello. And we have we have Bassam Tariq. Hello, Bassam. Hey, guys. So to start off, I just thought it would be great if you could all actually just introduce yourselves and say a little bit about your trajectory, getting into the industry, how you trained, if you did train, and the, just a little bit about the kind of the initial shorts that you made, and then we'll move on to your features. So Eva, should we start with you, please? Yeah, so I, uh, I went to university in an undergraduate degree in photography and film. Uh, I didn't really want to necessarily be a director at that point, but I got interested in it while I was there. And I did some shorts there, got really interested in directing. And I did some funded shorts after my degree, which were funded like through short film funding schemes. Um, and then I got into National Film Television School, which is ne near London. Um, and I did two years there did some more short films and did another short film after film school as well, which is the last short I've made which is called Diagnosis, which people might have seen. It got sent around, I think. Um, and then I developed a feature film called Perfect 10, which I shot two years ago now. I can't believe it's that long ago now. And I finished it last year and it premiered at the VFI London Film Festival. Um, and we're trying to get distribution for it at the moment. So that's kind of a compact history of how I, my, directing career. Excellent. We'll, we'll come back to that. Thank you. Nick, would you like to go next? Um, so yeah, I, I went to, I did an undergrad uh, film production course at Bournemouth Film School um, and then I went to the National Film School after that uh, with Eva. Um, and then after that I did, um, I, I, started I started developing my, um, my feature film uh, I, it's based on a short story and I found it in my final year at film school, but it took a while to get the script developed and funded. So I did, I would, for about three years, I'd do like six months developing the script and then six months directing television. And then we shot, we shot the feature film a couple of years ago now. Um, and it came out uh, three days before all the cinemas closed, unfortunately. So um, hopefully, uh, yeah, so that's, that's where we're at with that. But they have just announced that it's when it's coming. On, on yes, it's it's coming. It's it's going to be out on VOD um, on the twenty seventh of April. Wow, so um, um I don't have any uh, training in. I didn't go to film school. Um, I, uh, I worked in advertising, but I picked up a camera to help pay bills. Um, around, I used to do medical testing on my body. So I'm from the states. And I went to school in Texas, and uh, we don't really have a lot of uh, public help for, for, for funds and stuff. So I was doing medical testing on my body to help pay for college, and that was not a good way to do things. Uh, so I, I picked up my friend's camera to start shooting, and that's how I kind of, you know, I went into documentary, because documentary requires less permission to, you know, less people to say, oh, hey, you can get money, you can get this and that. And I think from that, I made a film. And, um, and then with that, you know, I started living in New York and living in New York made a few contacts and through that uh, started writing a lot more. And that's, yeah, that's where I'm at now. Okay, great. Oh, oh sorry, and the current film, yeah. So um, Mogul Mowgli is my feature. Uh, we just 
we we premiered at Berlin and we won the Critics Prize there. We have uh, I can't really say the distribution plan right now, but uh, we've have a few offers uh, in and but we'll definitely be released in the UK. Um, it looks like it'll first possibly go theatrical, depending on if theatrical is a thing after this. But you know, we we do have some good leads on that. Um, but I think we may just also release in streaming in a few months from now. But uh, it's a film with an actor, Riz Ahmed and I, we worked on it, we collaborated on that together. And that's it, yeah. So, well, I'm gonna stay with you for now. Um, okay. So how would you, I mean, I know you've worked, you've worked in music videos, you've worked in short form fiction, mm -hmm. you've worked in short form yeah. documentary, long form documentary, and Mogul Mogul is your feature debut, um, fiction debut. Mm -hmm. How how would you say that all of those other mediums that you were working in helped you with your debut fiction feature? Yeah, um, I think every project you learn something that's really uh, that, that that you go okay. I'll I'll make sure that I do this or do that. But I think one of the big things that I would say is 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 the more the more I do the, the the more I realize I don't know and I think admitting that you don't know is sometimes really important and I think it was I remember the first day when I walked on set and I saw the you know how many people there are on set it was you know I think like I looked around and I think everyone all together had over 100 years of experience over me and I just wanted to admit that and be vulnerable about it I think that was quite important to the process of making the film because it, it's it's a bit of a you know it, it's considered a weird or, or arty kind of film um so i think in order to get their trust was really important because i think a lot of things i like to do have a a strong construct or whatever so in order to get everybody on board um is really important to then make the film so i i, I think that was a, a big thing that i had learned from my other projects that i wanted to make sure that we're all in this to make the same film so that was quite important and in terms of documentary, because I've, I've seen your feature, obviously, which is great. Um, it, oh, thank uh, you. Thinking, having seen your other short, short form work, I can see how that really fed in because it's got a documentary feel to it mm -hmm. um, in many ways in terms of the way you shot it. So I'm assuming that was a deliberate kind of stylistic choice. Yeah, so I think like what, what um, you know, I, I think every project is different, but I think what, what I've learned is that, you know, you come in with a plan, but you have to also hear what's going on around you and listen to the environment. And, you know, and I had all these ideas and then at the day you're just like, okay, no, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. And you just have to kind of, you know, go with your gut. And I think so much of documentary is that, but, but I think as long as you're intentional, on how you frame things and put things together, I think it's important. And I think what the, the documentary aspect for me is, is sort of the urgency. I feel like so much of fiction also requires us to be, um, there's a lot of planning involved, at least that's what, from my understanding, and that was quite new to me because I can't just like hit record and start. Like I have to make sure that all these checks are done before like we like, I can call action or whatever. And I didn't use the word action. I was just like, all right, let's just, let's just move. Let's just get started. So I think, there, there is something about, um, you know, uh, allowing the, the world to be alive, to feel vibrant. And I think that was something that I wanted to not lose when documentary things would surprise you. And I think to create that environment that also allows uh, myself to be surprised was really important. And did you think that it made it easier for you with that background to quite quickly divert or change something, something wasn't working that you could be quite nimble? doing that because you've been used to doing it in documentary. 
Yes, I think the, the harder part in that is that I was I was cool with the chaos, like, you know, like people would say that like the set was a bit chaotic. Um, and I understand that because like I would change things a lot. But to me, like I, I came from places where I was being shot, like I'm, I'm like I was almost being kidnapped and, you know, in, in rural areas in Pakistan or like, you know, out of smuggle gear into Egypt. So for me, this was like not that chaotic. It was like it was pretty chill. I was like shooting in a hospital. So I had to learn to make other people feel safe in my decisions. And that was something that was really hard for me because sometimes I'm making calls and I'm not confident in those calls as well. And I think that was something that I was learning to like, to find that confidence um, on set. And also because film sets can be very hierarchical. I mean, everybody has their quite assigned role. Yeah. And sometimes yeah. I'm uncomfortable when people kind of move out of those. You know, that, that's something I will say about that, that, I, that I noticed in Britain is like, like the, how the hierarchy is super respected with you guys, where in a way, like in the States, like I would have like people come up to me, like say, well, that's full of shit. That's that. That's that. Where like I felt like, you know, a lot of my HODs, there was a sense of like, you know, I don't know, it was, it was interesting. And I think it was, it was quite, it was very respectful and the, and the work was incredible. But like, there was a lot of difference, which was kind of interesting to me. I, I wasn't used to it. Maybe that's also because I'm coming from like really small sets and everyone's my friend and this was quite professional and a lot of the relationships and the people that I was working with, it, it all was, you know, like it was my first time working with them on this. So I think that also was new to me because I'm coming from the States and I couldn't bring any of my crew, um, you know, or the well, that's, that's something that we'll talk to Eva and Nick about to see if that's, if they feel that's very much their experience as well. Um, Eva, can we move to you? Um, if you could sort of, uh, well, similar really to Basham, how did you, those short, early short films that you made, what did you kind of learn from them that you then took into the fiction feature? Um, it's interesting what Basham was talking about, about how there's that sense sometimes that you just want to get on with things and start moving. Um, and I'm very much like that. And I think, um, there were shorts I made at university where there was no kind of structure really there was just you know me and some friends making it together and I, I really enjoyed that and actually in the first few funded shorts um, I actually really struggled with a lot of the um, the way films are set up and the way things run on set and I was just like it, it felt very different so I had like a bit of learning to to go on and I guess I felt uh, maybe not so competent when I was on a like a bigger set at first and I felt very like out of my depth um, and then I realized, and, I'm, and I think I probably made choices in the early shorts where I actually was kind of regretted some of the things I'd, I, decisions I'd made. And I sometimes felt I'd made decisions for reasons that weren't right, you know, because someone else thought I should do something. And uh, so- could you, give, could you give us an example without, I mean, you don't have to be specific about people or- Yeah, of course. You know, I think, I, think most, I think most directors have gone through that horrible situation where, um, you know, you're really pushed for time and you need to make a decision and there's no time to make a decision. And really you, you should go with your instinct always. Um, let, let's say like, a, for instance, a framing choice, um, you know, choice of a framing. And that, that came up a lot in the early days, you know, in the early short films I made. And then you maybe have a, a cinematographer or, or another HD who's a bit more experienced and say, come on, you need to do it that way. And I'd be like, okay, let's do it like that. You know, and then you realize later in the edit, like, no, that's definitely not right. And I've just realized through every short film I've done, you know, ultimately, no one knows the film as well, especially if you're writer and director, no one knows the film inside out as much as you do. So, of course, you can make the wrong decision, even if you are going with your instincts. But at least it's your mistake you've made, not someone else's mistake. Not, you've not made a mistake because you've gone with someone else. And that's like probably the, the most important thing I learned through my early shorts. So, um, 
yeah, I think sometimes uh, you can dilute your vision by taking uh, advice from too many people. That can happen in development or in the writing or editing stage or the shooting stage. And it, I think it's the absolute curse of all filmmaking. It's like why bad, bad films are made. And I can often see it. Like sometimes I'll see a film and I'm like, this, this poor director, I'm sure they've not intended it to come out like this, but it's just not, it's not one person's vision. And that's, that, that is definitely what I learned in the early days. So I've become much more confident also through going to film school, which was just a huge learning curve for me about just really sticking to my guns and like really annoying people sometimes, but just not really, not, not I don't care, I don't want to annoy anyone. But at the end of the day, I want to be sitting in the edit room and going, okay, I've made those decisions myself and I'll, I'll stand up for them. <laughs> Bassam's nodding a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's the most hard thing um, as a director because sometimes you're so tired, like it's amazing, like, I, I, it always boggles my mind how you're meant to do all this amazing work when you've had like less sleep than ever and you're more stressed than ever. Um, but you just have to like really dig deep and like make the right decisions if you can. <laughs> so that's what I think I learned from my shorts and has really helped me going forward. And in terms of, um, just to stay with you for now, in terms of, uh, I guess, top, the, the, the shorts that you were choosing to make. Yeah. How the, the kind of creative choices that you were making about those, knowing that they were going to be a calling card. Yeah. Because you, cause you yeah. knew you wanted to make a feature. Yeah. So you're making choices about how people are going to perceive your style and your tone and your choice of subject matter. Were you really consciously thinking about that? Or were you just trying some things out? I wasn't actually, no. I think I, I never really, in the early short, certainly, I never really imagined I'd be making a feature in the future. I was just really interested in making those films at the time. Um, and then as I got, and then as I got older, I never wanted to make anything because of anything else but wanting to make the film. I, you know, I mean, I just, I guess for me, I just get really interested in an idea and really obsessed with that idea and want to get that across. But I, I don't think it's, yeah, I wasn't really thinking ahead too much with the, the to the feature thing. Um, Nick, can we come to you, please? And, and the same question to you, your, your kind of early shorts and how they fed into your, future, your other work, which is obviously television as well with, with you. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I guess um, I, tried to, I tried to make all of the shorts I made kind of um, quite different from each other, or like I tried uh, different styles and different genres and stuff like that to try and, I guess, um, maximize the amount I was learning on each one. Um, I think, I, I think it was sort of instilled from film school, but to, to really kind of focus, you know, from a directing point of view, really focus on, on working with actors and, and building good, learning how to work with actors effectively. And, and um, I found that that's probably the, the for me, the, the biggest learning curve, also the bit I, I found the most fun. Um, and for me, yeah, I, I wanted to do, I obviously wanted to make my feature film, um, but I knew it would take a long time. Um, and I need, you know, I was getting myself in a lot of debt at film school and all the rest of it. So I kind of always saw television is a kind of a, a step between doing short films and, and you know making making feature films so I kind of I tried to slightly design the shorts I was doing to kind of be appealing to or make it easier to make that jump into television so mm -hmm. I made a, a lot of 
all of my short films were about 30 minutes long, which is, is kind of too long for festivals. And you do, um, you do sacrifice the amount of screenings you can get and things like that. But um, I wanted to try and do as a, a, almost like an episodic length short film to try and make that jump a little bit easier. Um, which, and which, then, yeah. worked, which worked, presumably. I mean, that, as a strategy, that worked. It, yeah, it did. It did. I did like, and I tried to do, I really tried to focus on, um, on, you know, on get on kind of working with good professional actors and, and working on getting good performances. And, and that I think also, I found once I started doing television, um, you know, you, you get that you get a, a production company to take a risk on you. Um, and the way they sort of protect you, you know, they, 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 I, you suddenly go from doing short films where you're working with your friends and your peers and stuff like that to being crewed up with uh, heads of department and, and crew that, are, that the, the production company have chosen. Um, so almost as insu an insurance policy in case, uh, you know, I'm not good enough or whatever. So going from, that's what I found very difficult is kind of going to TV and suddenly feeling like I had to prove myself, um, not just with the actors, but, um, you know, with the crew and, you know, often like I was much younger than the director coming before me or, or whatever like that. Um, so that, that was always, uh, that was always a big challenge. And I, and, but at the same time, there was always a lot of people that had been very supportive, um, and helping me make that professional transition. Um, but the one area where you're always, it's just down to you is with when you're on set with the actors and then, then you can't lean on your cinematographer or you can't lean on your production designer to help you or you don't have a producer there to, to lean on. Um, that's just, so that's, um, that's why I, I was very thankful that I sort of spent a lot of, a lot of time sort of learning about actors, I guess, at film school. Okay, well, let's stay with you and if you could just actually say what your film is about for people for people that might not have seen who, who are with us yeah so uh, calm with horses it's an adaptation of an irish um crime crime novella um and it's it's a it's a crime thriller that uh um, it's about this guy called arm he's an ex he's a sort of mid-20s ex-boxer um and he's working as an enforcer for a family of drug dealers um and it's about how his loyalties are torn between the, this criminal family that sort of um, manipulate him and his real family and his five-year-old autistic son who he's sort of trying to be a good father to. Um, so we did that with film four and it, yeah, like I say, it came out, it was meant to have a six week cinema run, but unfortunately it only lasted um, three days. So I, I doubt many people have had the chance to see it yet. It's but, excellent. Um, uh, oh, thank you. Um, but and it was... It premiered at Toronto, didn't it, TIFF? Yeah, it, it did and TIFF. Then I saw it at London Film Festival, so it was yeah. Toronto, then London, but yeah. Yeah, so it did, it did a handful of festivals and um, that was all extremely terrifying. The whole thing was mostly terrifying, to be honest, but um, uh, it's kind of, I, what, was, what was tricky about it is, is and I guess one, one thing, if, if I look back on things that I would do differently um, or things that I found challenging is 
I worked with a lot of people that I worked with a lot of brilliant people, but I worked with no one that I'd worked with before at all. Um, apart from like a, a couple of people and that, uh, that was difficult. And sometimes I wish that I had brought, uh, I had sort of brought more people onto the film that I had previous experience with just because you have a shorthand and you have a trust there that you've already developed. Um, and I wasn't able to do that so much on Calm With Horses because it was an Irish film and um, it was, you know, we shot it in the West Coast of Ireland and we had to uh, crew up locally and things like that. So for practical reasons, I couldn't really bring any of any people that I'd worked with. Um, and that just made, it just made everything, although everyone was amazing, every relationship I was having to start from scratch, which just takes a little bit more energy. Um, so that was like a, a learning curve, I guess. And who, so the producer, I mean, how did you become involved in it initially? So, yeah, so I, 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 um, I was writing my graduation film at the time and um, I was doing a pretty shit job. So I was trying, so I decided to try and read as many um, short stories as possible. And I just sort of came across Calm With Horses one day um and dan emerson who's the producer he was an assistant at working title at the time and we'd already met up once and we were sort of trying to figure out how we could make a film together so i asked him to try and get the uh get the option to get the the, the rights to adapt it and he went off and did that and then um at the same time i went to troika talent agency to try and get um some actors to be in my grad film so I was meeting the agents there at Troika. Um, and in that meeting, they were asking me what I wanted to do after I graduated. And I said, oh, um, I'm, I'm trying to option this story called Calm With Horses. Um, and it, it just so happened that the, the agency were also trying to option the same story for, for Michael Fassbender's production company. Um, so they said, well, why don't you and Dan join DMC and we'll all do it together and that's, so a sort of moment of serendipity really but that's how how it all came together and then you pitched it to film for yeah so so then um yeah I, dmc they had uh, i guess they had a relationship with film for anyway because they'd just done Macbeth and trespass against us among other you know among other things so they read the short story and they didn't it wasn't like an immediate um commission they kind of they they liked the story but it wasn't perfect and there was a lot of um there was a lot of work that needed to be done to it i guess so we sort of entered a they they didn't they didn't pass on the project but they also didn't sort of bite our hands off either so it was kind of it was probably a 12-month period of um writing tr several treatments and getting feedback from them and um you know doing uh tone reels and uh you know mood boards and all that kind of stuff to try and and basically until we got to the point where they they saw it as a viable thing to do so yeah it was kind of like uh by the time they actually uh came on board it would already kind of been working with them for like 18 months at that point so it was kind of like a soft entry into it and 
Irish Film Board then? Was it Irish Film Board money as well? <clears throat> yeah, so, um, yeah, we didn't, we, we, so yeah, Film 4 came on for like half of the budget and then, um, and then it, then it was just about finding the rest of the money. So um, we couldn't get any BFI funding, but the Screen, Screen Island came on board and then Altitude and Element um, uh, filled an MG and, um, and put up some money so we could sort of get the budget together. Um, so yeah, that was very, it was kind of from, from, it felt like from film for sort of giving us the green light, you go through this weird period of like, you start soft prep and you start casting it and you start location scouting before you ever really know if you're going to get all the money and before you ever really know if the film's actually going to get made. And I think we only, the deal only got closed maybe like three weeks before we started filming. So you're kind of, there's always this kind of fear at the back of your mind that, uh, you know, you don't get all the funding that you need or that the house of cards kind of falls to bits. We'll come back to talk more about your experience of working on set. But Eva, could we come to you? And if you could yeah. tell us, your, yours was an eye features. Yes. So if you could tell us a bit about the origin, well, tell us what the film's about first, and then yeah. tell us sort of how how you started um, right from the beginning um, into developing it. Yeah. So uh, so the film's called Perfect Ten. It's about a, a teenage um, girl who's a gymnast, and she's kind of not living in a great situation. Um, her mum has passed away, and she's living with her dad, who's not. Um, Kind of doing his job as a dad very well and she has a half brother that she didn't know existed um who comes to live with her unexpectedly and she's not very happy about it um and basically he's a biker so he's into riding motorbikes and also into stealing motorbikes and he's kind of new in this in new in brighton and is getting with guys who are um stealing bikes and stuff so she doesn't really like him at first but it's about how they actually end up sort of having a kind of friendship and how she gets involved in motorbike crime which sort of has an interesting um, relationship with her gymnastics and it affects like how her gymnastics um, progresses. So it's like, a, it's a naturalistic drama, I guess. Um, and it was through iFeatures, uh, which is, if you don't know, I don't know what iFeatures is at the moment. I know it's changed a lot. I'm not sure if it's running it's anymore. It's a bit, but we don't quite know exactly. So. You can talk about its iteration when you were doing it. Yeah. So at the time, I, I always saw it as like X Factor for film because it was like all these different stages you had to go through. And they started off with like 12 or 20 um, different teams. And then you got whittled down to 12 and then six. And then at the end, there was three. And so we got told that we, we, we were going to get the money to make it. So it's quite an unusual situation to be in with a film because differently to Nick, you know, obviously with that kind of film, you have to wait until the end to check all the finances on board. And, um, but that with this, uh, you know, we kind of knew we had all the money up front, although it was a, a small budget um, it was half a million pounds, I think. Um, so a small budget, but also especially a small budget for this film, because this film had two teenage actors in the lead role, which brings its own expense with it, and uh, kids on motorbikes and gymnasts. And it was all a bit, you know, it's a bit of a nutty film to make on, on a small budget, to be honest. Um, but yeah, so we made it and it was, um, yeah, it was fun. It was pretty challenging, but it was fun as well. I had a lot of fun making it. Um, so in terms of your collaborators, yes. um, because you obviously you have to with eye features you have to apply 
well, it changes, doesn't it? But when, when you did it, you had to apply with a, with a producer on board and you were yes. the writer director. Yeah. So how did you find your producer? Was it somebody you'd worked with before? Yeah, so I worked with Jacob Thomas, who is a New Zealand producer who I went to film school with. Um, and I hadn't worked with him before, actually, but um, we started talking around the time I left uh, film school and we started talking about the project. And so we came on board for iFeatures. And then later on down the line, we also collaborated with uh, the Bureau, uh, Bertrand Favre and Valentina Brazzini from the Bureau. So it was Jacob, Valentina, Bertrand as producers all together, and then me as the director and the writer. And how did you find that development process? Because that's quite a lot of different people telling you, <laughs> giving you notes, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, and also obviously you've got the execs as well. BBC yeah. And so in terms of execs, there's BFI, the BBC, um, and Creative England as well, and then my producers. Um, in terms of notes and things, it was okay. You know, I, I, I'm used to having made films before to getting lots of different notes from different people. And to be totally honest, I just, like I take on board the notes, but I try not to get too much off track with what I'm intending to in the first place, because if you take everyone's notes on board, then it just, it's a bit unmanageable, do you know what I mean? So I would always filter through notes, take take what I thought tied into what I wanted to do, maybe not do stuff that I didn't, didn't think would work, and always explain that to people, hopefully. Um, I do find it hard with lots of working with lots of people. Um, it's just it's just hard having more people to communicate with. It is is a bit tricky sometimes, but um, but we had a good time making it as well. Um, I think probably it got more tricky um, as it get got closer to the shoot because it again, like I say, it was a very small budget, um, and yeah it was just a lot you know like I was doing things in a slightly different way like I, I was it's not different like lots of people do it this way but uh working with first-time actors working with under 16s um wanting to do as much stuff as possible for real and not faking it too much and trying to shoot some stuff in order um and the, all of that stuff has a has a quite a big impact on the budget actually um so I'd also want to shoot in Brighton which is quite expensive I really really wanted to shoot in Brighton primarily because I live here <laughs> and it's like really helpful um, but also because I just wanted the landscape and it's kind of where I'd envisaged it when I, I wrote it um, but I think that what well, probably was the hard pre-production was very 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 difficult like I found it extremely stressful um, and having just just having lots of people and you know you have that core team of people but then also you have like a whole team that comes on later much later on um like line producers etc and your hod's that come on board and um, i was lucky with a lot of my hod's i worked with people that i had um some people i worked with before like my cinematographer and my editor and i, I think that was a really really positive thing i'm so glad i did that because sometimes you just need those people amidst all the other people that you know really well and you can be really honest with and that's really helpful um so yeah oh, sorry i don't know if i answered that question no 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 that's good and um so how much were you trying to fit your story and your idea for eye features i mean were you, did you were you already working on it or did yeah. you you were okay and yeah, then so was the perfect thing to apply for yeah so i applied to eye features with two ideas i just had two ideas that i was developing one with jacob and then another with another guy called jacob a different producer and uh, I submit them both. I actually thought my other idea had a better chance because it was a much smaller project. Um, and it's actually one I'm doing now afterwards. Um, but that bit, per bit Perfect 10 got the go ahead. So yeah, I wasn't fitting, I wasn't thinking, okay, what is gonna, I feature gonna take? And I, I think that they may be like that in a way. I don't think they like you to 
at the time didn't want you to submit small scale projects. I think they projects, or I think they wanted you to really push yourself in terms of what was being made. Okay, we'll come back to you. Thank you, Bassam. Um, if you same same to you, if you could kind of talk about how your feature came into being, what t yeah, yeah. tell us tell us what it's about. Yeah, so Mogul Mowgli uh, follows uh, like a, a rapper at the cusp of breaking out and then uh, has an, an illness and then is stuck with his family and deals with a lot of weird stuff. Um, it's, uh, it's, it, it all started, I think, Riz had seen um, my film, These Birds Walk, uh, when he was shooting the night of in New York. And we started meeting up regularly just, just in these gatherings. and. I realized that him and I actually have very similar sensibilities and we grew up very similarly. So we always knew that we wanted to work on something together. So this is something that like I feel, um, and I would say this to all, like anyone that's like hasn't made a film to like, you know, you, you make these things, you make these decisions and they're, and they're really risky, but to build an entire film around, um, how to explain it? Like, like I've, I always knew that Riz was gonna be the lead and what I did was, I wasn't sure, because I was always really scared about, well, this film could only work if he plays the character. And that's very dangerous for, for any of us to ever do. And I only knew that he was completely committed because actors generally have a lot going on in their lives. I think somebody like Riz, who's, you know, who is really, you know, really breaking out as, as an actor at the time, you know, there's this feeling that you just don't know if, if they'll really be there or if they'll leave. Um, but we had did a trip together to Pakistan where I think I learned to see like how, you know, is this somebody that, that I feel like I can really commit with? And, and I saw him and I pushed him doing a lot of interesting, weird things. And I filmed all these like different exercises that we did out in Pakistan together. And that's when I knew that, okay, you know what, this is a risk that I'm willing to take because I think, you know, all of us have different circumstances. And, and I think it's important that as, as we talk about this, that we don't forget that we all have lives. So I think like me having children, having a wife, like, you know, like living, in New York and then upending everything and moving to London, you know, was, was something that was always gonna be a bit tricky, particularly for a first film. Like I was writing other films that I wanted to take place in New York and in Texas. And it wasn't even that like this film would get funded quicker or anything. It was just this impulse that I think there was, there was a instinctual thing that I knew that this, this is dealing with something that is very close to me. And that's the fear of irrelevance as an artist, particularly being an artist of color, right? Being an artist that's working class. And uh, that was where I was, particularly when I had young children. I mean, my kids are still young, but, but that to me was why I was like, okay, this is a risk I'm willing to take. And him and I, can, we can really build something and here's something that I can learn from. That even if this all falls apart in the process, I've learned a lot from this. Um, thankfully, funding came through. Um, the first people to really jump on board were Cinereach. They're a US-based, uh, New York-based uh, film company that have just put put out some of like the most I think exciting films. Um, and then when they came on board on an earlier version of the script, BBC Films Eva Yates came on board. Um, at that time, I was just the writer and director of the film, so um, you know there was and and I think uh, yeah. And then after that, I think two weeks before we started uh, shooting, I I was over at Riz's place all the time, and I was just like, look, dude, you need to take a writing credit with me on this because I'm not a Londoner. This film's super London and I, I'll need your help on a lot of things, particularly when we deal with rap and this and that. So I just would like to know that I can do that. So just take a writing credit with me so I don't feel this kind of like stress of like, you know, like I need to have all the answers. So I think that was really important for me um, that, that we share that credit. And um, 
what was that? So the funding side of it wasn't as hard, I would say, and our budget was quite low. I think somebody was asking a question. So I think it was like one half. Um, uh, and, you know, it was, it was, and it was 1.5, sorry, pounds. I think, I don't know. I think it's dollars. I think it might've been dollars because most of the money actually came from the States. Um, and, uh, and, and a lot of it actually came from relationships that I already had with, with people because they were fans of my previous work. And, and that was really important for me on, on the team that I built around the film that it were, there were people that I loved that I wanted to work with. So, um, and <clears throat> so in the end we just had a, you know, like, so, so I think even the notes process wasn't that hard. I think it was more, I would say, uh, me not really being like, I think, I think we, we took some different tonal, you know, changes in the film and the edit. And it was something that I think Nick had mentioned that I, I would really just want to say, and I think you even mentioned it, Eva, um, I was writing some notes down is like, having somebody that you have a shorthand with is so essential in this process because I think similar to Nick, like I had nobody on the set that I had worked with before and they were incredible people. They were all great, but it was their first time seeing me on the job. So I had never gone to battle with them before. So they didn't know who I was before this or like, or what my process was. So um, it, it, it made me feel very self-conscious. And, and I think, it's so important that like, I wish, you know, I'd fought for like certain things to come, certain people that I knew that I worked with beforehand to be there with me. So then I knew that when somebody would say something, I would know if it's, are they just trying to save their ass or do they really care about me, right? Or do they care about the film, right? Like it's like, cause, cause it could be any of those three. And the most important thing is, do they really care about the film and do I trust their sensibility? And because I hadn't worked with all of them yet, it was, there was always these, larger questions and um, up until the edit, you know, and I think now, now that I've worked with all these people, I can't wait to work with all of them again. But I think with my first, I wish it, you know, I didn't do that. Um, uh, another thing, yeah, so. Can I just ask something about sure. whether, if there was, looking back on it, if there was a moment where you could have sort of had that chat with everybody, with everybody there assembled, and you could have sort of said, look, just so you know, this is the way I like to work, kind of at the beginning, so that they would have felt. I did do that actually. I told them I was like, I was like, I want, I need, I need the permission to make mistakes and all that. And I think that's fine. I think the thing is that, for me, I like to ask certain people for their opinions, and and you know, they're gonna give you their opinions. But if you don't know, like you may like their work, but you may not know because you haven't worked with them before. Like, are they just, you know, are they just? on the job being nice, right? Like, are they just trying to save their ass? Or is this like generally them agreeing with you like this is working, right? And, and I think you won't know the answer to that unless you've worked with them before to know like how they really are in battle. Because I think everyone, you know, some people interview really well and, and everyone was amazing. Like I'll work with everyone again. Um, you know, uh, I think something else that somebody had said uh, that I wanted to just poke on uh, was guarding your instincts. I think Eva mentioned that and um, and I think meditation was really important. I think having some kind of an exercise regimen, I, I would say is, is key for any of this shit to happen. And, uh, like, and for all the participants that are like, that are like looking at like, okay, like, how am I going to get this going? How am I going to make this happen? I think mindfulness or like some kind of thing that you do regularly and not getting worried about the results. I think that's something as well. I think capitalism has made us very results focused. But I think allowing for the experimentation, particularly even in development, right? Like 
like you don't know if this whatever you're writing is ever going to get made i think even with covid and the realities of like all of us like like look at nick nick just literally had this incredible film come out and three days in it's like it's not even it's nowhere to be found at the moment right because of covid like the same thing happened to us like all these great offers and then it's like wait what's happening now so you know it's like if we get stuck and worried about the results of it being a film or or it being seen in a certain way you're gonna fuck yourself i think you have to fall in love with the process of this and and you know and i think that comes to guarding your instincts and learning and making this about learning more about yourself because you know many of us may not even like out of the 120 people that are that are like maybe many of us may not make our next films like i don't know if i'll ever make another film after this so i think but what i've learned from this and what i can anchor from this i think is really important for me so whatever i do do next i can still take from if that makes sense yeah um i'm just gonna look at some of these questions um yeah. how did you oh, well how did you find the lead for your feature you've answered that already so that's fine um but in terms of the casting process not just for the lead for me yeah so for our film our film is an entirely brown cast right <laughs> like everyone is south asian I didn't realize that I'd written a film that everyone's South Asian it just happened. And also they have to, they have to be able to speak Urdu. Um, it was really hard because it's not a common thing that happens, unfortunately. Like, I mean, I will say that like Britain has immense amount of talented South Asians, uh, people of color. And, you know, I, I think it's great that they're finally getting, you know, the attention they deserve. But I, I would say that a lot of it was, you know, Shaheen Beg, our incredible casting director. It was, you know, Riz. It was a lot of my other playwright friends that, that you know, so, so we looked at the theater scene. Anjana, we found through the theater scene, um, you know, just asking other people, like, you know, um, I would go to a lot of events and like, there's this one guy that I think was a complete find in the film, Hussein Manoa, who plays Riz's cousin in the film. And he's just great. And he's never acted before in his life. The father we brought in from Pakistan, you know, so it's just like, you know, Subha was somebody that like, you know, ran this incredible playwright, uh, like this, this the theater troupe uh, called Tamasha. So it was just, it was really, it was, it was, it was very tough, I think. I'm not gonna lie, but it was great because I think we were able to really, um, you know, and, and I think it's because, you know, and, and I will say that I'd say that the UK has a problem where like a lot of the South Asians, a lot of the roles they've played have been stuff like Citizen Khan. It's quite big, it's quite broad. You know, I love men like Mubin, but that's also quite broad, I'd say. And, you know, um, and this film's not that. So, you know, uh, like telling people how to like, you know, to like not worry about this um, white gaze. And, and I hate getting like, like theoretical or, or whatever about it, but like the white gaze is a real thing that a lot of us feel about like, oh, how will white people look at us or this and that. And I think trying to let that go and not worry about it was I think quite tough in, in even the auditioning process and the casting and in the working with actors, I'd say. Um, did you do much prep with them before shooting? I think everyone I had met individually, we had had a lot of conversations and stuff like that, yes. So I think there was, but there wasn't, like in terms of like traditional rehearsal, uh, there wasn't much of that. There just wasn't enough time because, you know, there, there were so many other moving parts to the film. But I, I will say that like, you know, yeah, just, 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 I think making sure that everyone brings in honesty it was really important to me. So, you know, and I think they, yeah, I think that was, so I think meeting each, each one of them one-on-one one -on -one was super important. And the advice that this one director friend gave me that I, I really take to heart is that like, you have to treat them like your children, like your actors are your children. And I really get it. Like, I think they're all teaching me something and 
I have to also like it, it's all a dance that we're all doing and and I'm learning on how to like work with each one of them differently and, and be respectful of, of them, particularly when they're South Asians and they haven't necessarily maybe had their big break yet and they're older and they're seeing somebody younger like Riz who in like uh, the hierarchy of like brown artists is quite at, at the up and up, right? He's quite up there. Um, so I think some people felt, you know, a little worried or, and, but they were great. You know, I think, I think Riz creates an amazing environment and I think the actors, you know, being able to have a vibe with each other is the most important thing because I think it's like, I think for me, it's important that I step out and I let them do their thing as well. Right, thank you. Um, Eva, can I ask you that same question, um, which is from somebody watching. Uh, how did you find your, your two, two lead, um, the half sister and half brother? Um, um, so I, yeah, so I, it, that was like obviously really important to me because of the leads and um, I knew they were going to be young actors. So I, and I, so it was likely they were going to be first time actors. So I worked with a really amazing um, casting director called Lucy Pardy, who's also based in Brighton, which was really ideal. And we got on really well and we worked together for many, many months trying to find the actors. So I think we started like in October, 2017, and maybe I think we finalized the main cast like April, May, 2018. So there's lots of different, um, meeting lots of different people. So for my uh, lead actor, Frankie, uh, she had to be an actual gymnast because she has to do gymnastics in the film. So that was, it wasn't easy, but it was, um, it was good in a way because we could just get in touch with lots of gymnastics clubs um, and, you know, through social media and things. Um, I didn't do that. Uh, Lucy and her casting, really great casting scouts did that. Um, and then we basically, we had like different rounds of auditions. So we had a first round where we just meet each of the girls and just chat to them for 15 minutes, no acting at all. And just seeing whose personality popped out at us, who seemed like they, they could be an interesting um, person to meet again. And then we had two or three more rounds of acting auditions with the ones we liked, just whittling it down every time. So first of all, we'd meet groups of like four or five girls at a time, get them to do group acting. And you could instantly see who was comfortable acting and who was not. Um, and then this, the round after that, I had her, they had the girls acting against like a, a professional actor. Um, and then the round after that, we'd started to meet some boys at the same time for the half brother. Um, and I started to sort of match up uh, girls and boys to see who had like an interesting sort of dynamic between them. Um, and we basically met Frankie right in the beginning. Uh, and I thought she was interesting, although she, she was quite different, actually. I, I thought she was interesting when I first met her for an interview, but she was quite different the second time I met her. Um, I almost didn't meet her again after the first interview, so I'm glad, I, I'm glad we did. Um, and she was just an amazing actress from, from the get-go. I was kind of blown away by her. And I actually forgot, oh God, she needs to do gymnastics and realised at the end, I hope she's going to be good at it. And then I went to see her do some gymnastics and she was really good. So I was like, whew, so pleased. Um, and then for Alfie, who's the other actor, plays a half brother, um, we had an amazing casting scout. I think you met her, met him at a boxing match. Like I think his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend at the time, well, girlfriend at the time, was in a boxing match and he was there and she chatted to him and he was a bit suspicious about thinking about the whole thing, I think. But then he came to an audition. I was considering him for a different part in the film, but I was really, really blown away by it when I saw him acting. Um, and then when I put him and Frankie together, it was just so clear. It was clear pretty early on that they were, you know, really great. Um, but obviously we had execs to talk to and convince that it was right. So I had to do a lot of acting with them and meeting 
other boys with Frankie as well, just to see, just to convince everyone it was the right move. Um, and basically the reason I chose them was they were both really good at improvising and a lot of the film is improvised. Obviously I wrote a script, but we were also improvising in the moment and changing a lot of dialogue. And Alfie and Frankie were both really confident with doing that, um, which was kind of the main thing I was looking for. So yeah, I, I was allowed to cast them. In the end. So in terms of how much prep you did with them? Yeah. Um, once I, I mean, we'd, I felt like in a way the auditions I did with them were kind of like rehearsals because we were doing so much playing around with the characters and actually in a way I started to change the script a bit around them once I started to realise it was probably going to be them. Um, and then when it came to uh, deciding on them with Alfie, I, I wanted, because they weren't meant to know each other in the film, I, I uh, rehearsed them separately because I didn't want them to get too used to each other because then I thought it might come across on screen. So with Alfie, I rehearsed him over like three or four sessions with a, an actress who wasn't in the film, but she was like cast as his mum who we never see. So I just got him to like rehearse with this woman playing his mum and that was really interesting, brought up a lot of stuff and like just gave me a lot of info about how he acts and like ha things in his, his like things in him that I could bring to the character, I guess. Um, with Frankie, what? A, yeah, with Frankie, I brought down the actor who was playing her dad, and we did some rehearsals, um, and which were really great because I, I I started to see like when she was good at acting, like you know, any actor, not just first time actors, but any actor has like a, a certain time they're good at acting. Some actors are really good on the first take. Some actors are really good later on when they're pushed. Some actors are really bad when they're tired, you know? So I was starting to see where both Frankie and Alfie, where their kind of their sweet spot was. And that just really, really helped a lot. Um, and then we did like, I think maybe like a, I don't think we ever actually rehearsed them together and after we cast them uh, we did it like a costume fitting together which is just nice just to talk to them about their characters a little bit we didn't do we never did a formal like going through the scenes together at all and um, because I wanted to keep things fresh for the for the day of the shoot great thank you um Nick can you tell us about your casting process please uh so we had Shaheen Beg as well the sort of the most amazing casting director so we were in really safe hands um it was quite a tricky film to cast obviously it's set on the west coast of Ireland. it required a very specific um accent um, um and that you know there's also a five-year-old um autistic character as well so that was a challenge um the I guess the first piece of the puzzle was Barry Kiergan. Um He was a straight offer and we'd kind of been talking to him for a few months, trying to sort of cajole him into being interested in the, in the project. Um, so that was the only sort of straight offer. Um, everyone else, um, everyone else auditioned. Um, and Cosmo Jarvis is the lead in the film. He was in a movie called Lady Macbeth. Um, where he plays like the, the love interest opposite Florence Pugh. Um, and I guess he was sort of like, he was probably like um, an outsider in the sense that he, he was, he hadn't been a lead in a movie at that point and, um, and he wasn't Irish. Like we, I was trying hard to cast everyone Irish if I could. Um, but he just came in and it was kind of one of those uh, kind of cliche things that you hear, um, filmmakers say of like oh the moment he walked in the room I just knew it was going to be him sort of um, but it basically was that um, and 
And the reason it felt like that is because it just felt like, like we saw so many amazing actors and, and everyone was brilliant, but Cosmo just kind of understood the spine, the spine of who this character was in a way that no one else did. Um, and it's, and he was maybe a little bit rough around the edges and his accent wasn't there. And, but I, I felt like as long as he understood who this person was, then there was no, we could work on everything else. And if, if an actor doesn't quite get the character in the way that, at least in the way that I see the character, then there's always going to be a glass ceiling there that you're fighting against. So I'd rather, you know, I'd, I'd rather, and, and what was great about Cosmo is he's, he's so hardworking and um, he sort of, I guess you, I'd call him a method actor. Um, um, so he, he, I, I was pretty sure straight away, but probably a little bit like Eva as well. There was a lot of, um, you, you kind of have to bring everyone with you and convince the financiers and the producers and everyone and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, and then uh, uh, Neve Algar, you know, by that point, Cosmo, once we cast Cosmo, he was in all of my, the auditions, so he would always read it. Um, because we didn't really have any rehearsal time, I would use the audition process as an opportunity to rehearse with Cosmo as well as, you know, obviously find our other characters. Um, um, and then in terms of finding the boy, uh, a guy called um, Nick McGinley, um, who works with Shaheen a lot, he was out in Ireland and he, he sort of saw about 300 boys for us. And I must have seen about 100. And then we found this one local kid, Killian, who was, um, who was just incredible. Um, we, can, like, we, we developed the script with the National Autistic Society and um, through their advice, it became clear that we wouldn't be able to, wouldn't be able to uh, cast a, um, an autistic child just because of the stress of the scenes. You know, there's quite dramatic sort of stressful scenes in the film. So um, I was lucky enough to get um, Element Pictures were our co-producers in Ireland and um, they did a movie called Room with Lenny Abrahamson um, and that, you know, Jacob Tremblay's performance in that is, is fantastic. And um, um, so Lenny sort of gave me a lot of advice on, on kind of what he found useful um, and what worked for him on Room, which was really, really helpful. And I, I used basically the casting process there to sort of work out how to get this performance um, um, with this child. And, it's, and, and it, there was a lot of pressure from production to cast an older child because um, a five-year-old, you can't, they can only be on set for five hours a day and they can only be on camera for two hours a day, which obviously is extremely, it's a real um, pain um, and a big risk. But I kind of held firm on that because the story wouldn't really make sense if the child was older than five, because in the story, he's, he's nonverbal. And that's, it's around sort of four or five where that you would start to kind of make that diagnosis. Um, so it just felt for the, for, you know, authenticity was very important to me and, and that required us to sort of take casting risks, I guess. But in, in the end, actually, he was, he was um, probably the most reliable, reliable actor on set. So um, it's funny how things sort of turn out. Um, uh, oh, we've got so many good questions and we're running out of time. Oh, yes, we can, we're allowed to have 10, 10 more minutes, apparently. Um, right, I'm going to ask some questions from other people. Uh, do, do, do. Yeah, I guess, well, I guess one of the big questions at the moment is how, I mean, you don't know in a way what's going to happen with your films. Um, all of you are actually in that position. Well, Nick, you, you know what's happening, but 
you, I guess you can't really talk anymore at the moment about the next steps. Eva, do you, did you have anything in place? Yeah, so um, I didn't have the UK distribution yet, but we did have uh, a theatrical release in France coming up in April, which is not going to happen. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a bit clueless of this about this end of things, I have to be honest, with distribution. So I just kind of wait and hear what's, what's going on with it. Um, but obviously, you know, it's a gigantic thing for the whole film industry. Um, and it's, yeah, it's worrying as to how it's going to affect distribution. But... Uh, I'm just letting it do its own thing. We have, you know, people in place to look after the film and I'm just sort of getting on with my next project. And how, what stage are you at with your next project? Uh, we've, as I'm doing it with BBC Films um, and we've just sort of signed the contracts and stuff. It's a film that I've, I've written with another writer a couple of drafts of already and we're just uh, writing the next draft now of the script. Um, so it's at fairly early stages, but... Um, it's exciting to get going with it because I have actually been developing it for the same time as I've de been developing Perfect 10, although not all the time. Um, so yeah, just working with another writer called Emily Markison and a producer called Jacob Swanheim uh, and with Eva at BBC. And yeah, just getting getting into that's a completely different kind of film with teenagers again, but a totally different tone. It's a lot darker. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's actually really nice just to be working on something else now. And do, when you say a completely different film, I mean, do you feel this is, a, a, again, a question for all of you in terms of your, how important it is with your debut that mm. you're aware that people might start kind of typecasting you, whether in terms of genre or that that's the topic that they, that, I mean, I, I talk to a lot of first time directors and they say that it's very frustrating because people assume that the first film they've made is what they want to carry on making. And actually a lot of the time they want to make something really different as their second feature. Is that fair to say? I think um, I'm terribly unstrategic, I have to say, in general, when it comes to film industry. So, uh, I mean, I think there probably are similarities in, in the kind of characters I, I try and look at in between the two films. But I, I just try not to think about it too much. Like, I, I, I'm, I just get interested in an idea and talk to people about it. And if it goes ahead, it goes ahead. Like, I've got, like, four or five different films I'm working on. And some of them, are like, oh, I've got, like, a rom-com and I've got like a very dark film, which I'm doing now. Um, yeah, I'm just not very good at thinking that way. Oh, I just didn't hear that last bit, sorry. Oh, sorry, I said I'm just not very good at thinking strategically, basically. Bassam, <laughs> um, uh, I mean, I guess you're, sim I mean, you can't talk about, you don't know what's gonna happen with your feature at the moment. Like you said, you've had some offers, but you don't know in terms of theatrical distribution or, yeah, um, like if honestly, I want to self-distribute the film. So I come from a like, like this whole thing of like asking for permission. So my last film that I just did, Ghost of Sugarland, I was going to put it on YouTube, but Netflix loved it and they bought it and you know whatever, and they did the whole thing. So that was cool. I didn't, I didn't care. The film before that had a good release as well. But but for me, what I've learned is, but but see that I'm also able to say that because I have an actor that has a good social media presence, and I'm able, I have the privilege of putting like I could literally release it two weeks from now and it would still I think you know people would review it right like it would get eyeballs and all that so I'm lucky for that like I think that that's not something that all of us would have the ability to have and I think you know a distribution deal what at least it gives you right here's what distribution gives you is it gives you a little bit of an eye on the film that otherwise it wouldn't have and possibly maybe some money but generally you won't get money right if that's like what you're thinking unless a big streamer buys it 
at a festival and it's like, and they really love it and they see that it'll do really well in the US or in, in North America or perhaps in India or something, right? Like, but when your film is in this in-between land where it's a really strong film and they're like, oh, it can play well at art house stuff, then you're probably gonna get a small distribution deal. And then I think what you have to look at is what, you know, I think, and, and like, I don't, like, I think, I, I really agree with Eva. Like, I think, I mean, she didn't, but at least to her, her sense of not, she's not being strategic. And I think that's good. I think that's really important to not be strategic, but I think it is important to have at least, you know, if you were to prioritize, I was part of a film lab a while back when I was making my first feature uh, fiction, like feature doc was, what is it, what's the one thing that you want to get out of your film, right? Is it, and, and I think that's important to prioritize. Is it you want a calling card, right, for your next thing? Do you want to make, do you want to have a career of making films? Or is it just that you want to make money, right? Or, or do you like, yeah, I think if, if you were to look at just those two, right? And I think if you want to just think about like, and, and I could say like for my last film, For These Birds Walk, we had an offer that actually would give us a lot of money, but it would only put us straight to a VOD type platform in the States. Um, or we could go for a theatrical, which would give us absolutely no money, but we knew that at least it would get certain people to review us and all that. And I think that's a bigger risk, but what's good with that is it at least allows us, it, it, it gives me a platform to then have a bigger career versus just to have the money and the buyout. And I think that's something also to think about when you think of like the Netflixes of the world, the Amazons of the world, is that yes, they may be interested in buying your film, particularly now with COVID and all that, but you know, um, it, it, it may also just sink your film. It may not be the best place for it. So I think uh, guarding your film and the release of it could also be important. Um, and I think even like uh, just, just something about like how a trailer is put together. And I know these are like really things that you should not worry about when you're in the process of developing your film. But that stuff gets really important because more people will see your trailer than they'll watch your film. And that trailer can really destroy your film sometimes because a distributor will be like, well, this is what the film is about, or even, you know, the poster, um, you know, so, so I think those are things to, to keep in mind. Um, does that help answer any of your questions? Yeah, no, no, no that's great. I think there's a few people that have been asking about distribution and how much, um, uh, you you all have a say in distribution, actually. Um, and, and I think what's quite interesting with that, I'd, I'd urge people to um, have a look at Lulu Wang talking about the farewell and how she made her choices around wanting that to be theatrical and not going with the bigger offers because she knew how to get to the audience that needed to get to, which wouldn't have happened if she'd gone with the really, really big offer that she was given. So it is interesting that as creatives, you can be a part of all those decisions, hopefully. Um, Nick. Um, yeah, so you are in the position where you are now waiting for, did you say the 29th of April? Uh, 27th of April, uh, it comes out on various VOD uh, platforms, basically, yeah. I, and I, I have no idea, um, I have no idea if it will, I, I doubt it will have a theatrical, it might have a few other screenings uh, theatrically, but yeah, um, it's coming out on iTunes, uh, Amazon, Sky Store, Curzon, BFI player, stuff like that. Um, but at the moment, think, yeah. those are doing really well because people are watching. I mean, there are some films that more people are watching at the moment than might have been watching them in the cinemas because of what's happening. Yeah, I mean, I just love it. Just been obviously, I, I don't know if I'll ever have the opportunity to have a film in the cinema again. So um, that, that was a shame, but ultimately, uh, I just want people to see it, you know, after spending, you know, it's a five year journey making it. And um, 
a painful one at time or most of the time um so you know it that's that's the main thing um and the kind of the silver lining is like who knows maybe the film would have tanked now i have a really good excuse as to why the box office is made so kind of like a win-win situation for me I'm going to end on one question for all of you, which has come up, which is um, somebody saying, asking, what, what did you, oh, I've lost it now. What, it was about, what did you learn on, that you wish you might have done on the very first day on set? Um, I, yeah, I, I think, uh, like, I, I try and write a letter to everyone if I can. And I don't think I did it on the film. This, like, normally I did, especially, I guess, on, on television, uh, I would be coming in and I'd be doing like um, middle episodes of things. So you, I, I wasn't casting the actors and I, I was inheriting actors and I was inheriting crew. So I would always try and like, um, as much as I can build a bond with people as much as I could before coming on set. And then Calm With Horses was just so chaotic and so stressful and so, um, I was spending way too much time fighting fires to sort of uh, write any more letters or anything like that. So I, I kind of slightly regret not ha kind of not having the the um, the headspace to kind of um, uh, kind of be as thoughtful as that, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's just, I guess, one like one thing in terms of like the whole thing. I've really learned that. Um, dealing with pressure is probably the one if i could go back and talk to myself the one thing is like le I, I i really need to learn to um really focus on the things that i have control over and to let go of a lot of other other stresses because i i i spent like 10 years trying to get to make a feature film and then by the time i got there every day i'd wake up wishing to be anywhere but having to go on to set because i would just be so stressed and worried about do people thinking I'm, you know, does anyone like me? Do people think that I'm doing a good job? Is the film going to go well? But, you know, all these questions are really unhelpful. And, um, and actually, even once the film finished, I found it really stressful and scary because then you're having to promote it and wonder if audiences are going to like it and blah, 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 blah. So I kind of really learned to just try and um, enjoy the process. And that's, uh, you know, because otherwise it's just too painful, I think. And it is fun at times. Eva, same, same with you. Oh, it's so stressful making feature film. I just I totally relate to you, Nick. Um, uh, the, fir the thing, sorry, is the question what you do differently on the uh, first day actually, of the, the shoot? Question, yeah, the question is, what, yes, what you do differently. I'd schedule less. Every single film I've ever made, I always say to myself, don't schedule something really difficult on the first day. And I always do it every film. I don't know what's wrong with me. So... I, I would have just, I just would have scheduled something really, really simple on the first day because everyone's getting into the swing of things and it's just crazy to do like an integral scene on the first day. Um, and I'd just say to relax and just take it easy and not think that everyone's looking at you thinking you're the worst director in the world um, because, uh, you know, they're hopefully not. Bessem? <laughs> Uh, I'm just writing notes because I, I love I love what you Nick said about writing a, a letter. Uh, can, can I ask Nick a question? Like, what did you, what do you mean? Like, you wrote a letter. Like, who did you write the letters to, and what 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 did, what did they look like? So, um, so often I would just uh, write a letter to you know, 
I, to each of the actors just explaining why I'm excited that they're on the project. Um, that's different, but you know, if you've, if you've cast them, then you've already, you already, you have a sort of relationship there. Um, or, or if I haven't cast the actor and it's a TV show, then I'll just talk about why I'm looking forward to working with them and what I've appreciated about their work. Um, I'm just like, I'm a very, um, I'm, I guess I'm more of an introverted sort of person. So there's a lot of directing that doesn't come naturally to me at all. And I'm kind of scared of most people and most social interactions. So anything I can do to kind of create a, a familiarity with someone as fast as possible is really useful for me. Cause usually my first couple of days on set are my worst cause I'm so um, shy, I guess. So, and it's, so it's kind of selfish, but I'm just, is anything I can do to try and feel more comfortable around people um, the better, I guess. So. Um, oh, that's great. That's really, uh, I'm going to try writing a letter next time. <laughs> <laughs> But, that's, what, uh, uh, that's what you've learned from this. <laughs> but, but what I, um, I don't think like, uh, I, I think our first day was quite easy. It was just a, it was a concert that we were filming. So um, it was, it was, it was very much, it felt like I was shooting a documentary type thing. So it didn't really, I think my second day was really hard. Um, I, I would say that I wish I, I wish I'd spent uh, more time uh, lear learning how to work on a set. It was my first time. I realized my first day on the set was the first time I was ever on a set. I've never been on a set before. <laughs> and uh, I wish I had, you know, I wish I uh, had gone on the set before, but um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think I'm going to try writing a letter next time to <laughs> people are still here asking. I mean, if anyone's got any questions, I've got like a few minutes to, quickly how did you manage family life and film life okay that was that was really tough um i think my my family was not around during uh the shooting time but during post they came to london but i i think they could have been there with me along the same time and i would say that um it's just about having a great co-parent um you know and i think i have an, an incredibly supportive wife and um you know but but i think it takes a village to raise children. So I think, you know, if, if I were to bring them to another setting or wherever, I would make sure that there are more than just my wife that's being the one that's, you know, doing the brunt of the, of, of the caretaking. But it was, it was quite hard, I would say, I think, in the beginning to, to manage all that. But it's possible. I, I think, you know, I think filmmaking is becoming more, um, you know, I think. A sales agent? I would not worry about sales agents. I, I think all that stuff is not not necessary right now. I think it's the most important thing is to write a great script, and you'll find you'll find the right people, um, you know. And and I think bringing uh, distribution partners and all that. I think that's not a healthy way. If particularly with your first film, you're putting out, you want your voice to be your voice, and the more cooks you have. Um, in the kitchen, it's it's gonna it's gonna affect your film. So the least amount of people you can have, um, and the least amount of people you can have in the process, the better it's gonna be for you because you only really get that chance once. And you know you want to make your mistakes. You want to make somebody else's. And uh, I think that's that's what I would say. Um, well, I think now, sadly, we are going to have to wrap this up. Okay, great, great, cool. Yeah, I, I know I've, I've written other scripts before. I'm just looking at this right now. And um, yeah, I've, I've written I've written a few before, but you know, those those are, are all trials. And, and I think I worked mostly on the script, but Riz would also work on it separately. And 
you know, we would send voice notes to each other, but, you know, and yeah, so it was just, it was very fluid. We changed the script all the time. There were some days where we would just throw the script away and we would just start shooting, so. Um, I'm so sorry we haven't been able to get through more of those questions because they're all really, really good. That's been brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you to Eva, to Bassem and to Nick. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks for joining us and remember you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.